Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you for joining me. Today, we continue our search for processes and approaches that will make us more accountable, more measurable, and more able to tell the story of how effective our work is such that we will be taken more seriously by the people who matter in our organisations. Today, we have a conversation with Jenny Riley, who's the Digital Transformation Lead at Clear Horizon, which is a Melbourne-based consulting firm. Jenny's an experienced in, in data uh, management systems and data dashboard solutions, but with a focus on social change. Her skills relate to co-design, delivery and evaluation of collaborations, working with complex and really wicked social problems. They include poverty, uh, homelessness, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health issues and development, and school-to-work transitions and school readiness in vulnerable communities. Jenny's got over 20 years' experience in the space, and she's also worked with NGOs such as Oxfam and Plan International. As I say, she currently works as the Digital Transformation Lead at Clear Horizon and is also a non-executive director at Eating Disorders Victoria. She's trained in a range of reporting and communication formats to engage and mobilise communities. And she's also a sought-after facilitator and trainer. And she joins me on the phone now. Jenny, thanks very much for joining us on GovComs. Thanks, David. It's wonderful to be here. This notion of measurement and evaluation is really fundamental now, isn't it, in, in everything that's done, particularly in the government and public sector, because people are looking for proof. Tell us, how do people do it well? Well, I think it's about proof and it's about accountability, but it's also about learning and it's also about improving. And so we come at it from that, that lens of saying, if we, if we can learn and improve, then we satisfy the accountability and proof. But to purely go after it just to sort of tell the story in and of itself misses the opportunity to learn and improve our work. So in terms of doing it well, you know, there, there's a range of experts out there, but also good program managers should be equipped with the tools to measure and evaluate their own work. Everyone from a policy or a social worker should be asking themselves and their team should be asking the questions, are we making a difference? Who are we making a difference for? And, um, you know, how can we improve our work? And so, you know, there's a variety of methods out there, uh, qualitative and quantitative uh, ways to collect data and then make sense and report that back. Okay. So we'll come to some of those tools in a moment because I think that is of interest to people. But what you're suggesting is that really effective um, monitoring and evaluation begins with very simple questions. Absolutely. It's all about are we making a difference for who and in what circumstances? Um, how can we improve what we're doing? I think I think we can overcomplicate this stuff, and I think what we really try to do is, de, you know, sort of de-jargonize and make this, you know, more simple for people to get hold of. 
because everybody needs to have these tools and they need to be able to answer these questions. So when you start with, you know, asking those very simple questions, to who should you be asking those questions? Is it to your team? Is it to the leadership? Is it to the constituents that you're seeking to influence? Where do you get the answers to those questions? I think when you start off looking at evaluation, you want to know who the users of the information are. So firstly, we start there because the most important thing is that an evaluation is used and it's useful. So we don't just do it, you know, um, for the sake of it. You know, there's there's a purpose. And so we'll sort of say, okay, so who are the users? It might be the funders. What do the funders want to know? They want to know uh, how their money's been spent. Did we achieve what we said we'd achieved? And then we say, well, in what format would you like that? And they might just say, oh, you know, we want a written report. And when would you like it? And they say, well, just before our annual report would be useful. So that's that's the funders. But then you'll go back to your team and you'll say, well, what do you want to know? And they'll say, well, we'll we want to know if we're, you know, if we're messing up. We want to know if, if we're doing any harm. We want to know if we're making a difference. And so you say, well, how often do you want to know this? And they'll say, well, we want weekly or fortnightly or daily updates on this. And so you say, well, well, in what format? And they'll say, well, what we'll need is, you know, perhaps a dashboard with, you know, real-time feedback and, and so on. You know, like it, it depends on the user. So if it's the board, if it's the constituents, as you said, if it's the people we work in the name of, giving back a report card to them, they might they don't want it daily, you know. <laughs> They're probably going to say, let us know every six months how you're travelling with the programme um, give us a community report card. That that's that's ample. But I think starting with the user of the information, working out what their questions are and how that, what format they want it answered and when, really gives us a framework to communicate um, our evaluation findings well. And how many things should you try to measure on, or how many questions <laughs> you'd be seeking to answer? Because that's the thing, isn't it? In this day and age of of data, ubiquitous Absolutely. data, multiple sensors, et cetera. You can generate all sorts of, of yep. reports. You can measure all sorts of things. So how do, you, how do you make sure that you're measuring the right things? You know, often it comes down to a, a core group of questions. So even if you go across all those stakeholders, it generally comes down to sort of, you know, three or four things. They, we want to know, are we, are we making an impact? Are we using our resources efficiently? You know, that's you know, uh, you know, you might make an impact that costs a million dollars for one person. So you, so you want to look at, you know, the question of efficiency. You want to look at the question of sustainability. So, is this um, initiative sustainable? You know, if we, when we leave, will the benefits continue on? Um, and then we also want to look at the appropriateness of the intervention. So if we've come up with a great, you know, an app and it's a wonderful, sexy thing, but actually wasn't really appropriate for the age group or the cultural group. So, you know, you need to look at, you know, was, was it fit for purpose? Mm. So, so at the end of the day, you're looking at effectiveness, efficiency, sustainability, and um, that appropriateness question. And really, most of the things sort of fall into those buckets. Okay. But you, you, your expertise and, and a lot of your focus is in the, in the social space and looking at yes. try, how to measure and evaluate social outcomes which That's obviously right. is, you know, quite a deal of work in government and the public sector. How is measuring and evaluating social outcomes different to measuring other program activity? Um, I think, you know, in terms of financial, uh, you know, sort of if you run a shop, you, you know, you've, you've got some pretty standard metrics of success. You know, you've got your sort of 
you know, sales and numbers of customers, and they, they're quite concrete, you know, numbers of dollars in the door and, you know, you know, inventory moved or whatever. The social sector has always been a, a little bit trickier because sometimes we're measuring things that aren't as, uh, you know, they're not as tangible. So we're dealing with people's self-esteem or we're dealing with people's, um, you know, mental health and physical health or we're dealing with, you know, parents' confidence to raise their children. So you're dealing with things that are that are quite contested as well in terms of in terms of measurement. So I mean now there is a lot of information and a lot of good practice out there and there are validated surveys and instruments that we can use. So for instance, if we want to measure quality of life, the World Health Organization has an excellent uh, you know 12 point survey that you can use to measure, you know, quality of life in, in your participants. Or if you're measuring sort of, you know, parenting um, parenting skills. So there are these these tools and mechanisms that you can use to measure, you know, confidence levels. You can even measure happiness. You know, there are happiness indexes now. So I think, you know, we used to be obsessed with sort of gross domestic product, but increasingly we're hearing, you know, um, about measuring happiness and measuring well-being. So, you know, we're, that's what we're we're really interested in is measuring those those social changes, um, you know, changes in behaviour, but also people's well-being. How do you measure someone's happiness? <laughs> well, we're very participatory in our approach. So I think it would depend on the community. You know, we, we wouldn't, you know, sort of put it onto a group. We would sort of start with the group and say, look, these are some of the ways that it has been done, you know, looking at people's sort of well-being and hope for the future, um, you know, you know, how they've, you know, how much energy they have or things like that, you know, those and then we'd sit with them and say, well, what, what does happiness mean for a group of, you know, year nine students in Burke versus what does happiness mean for a group of, you know, I don't know, women in southeastern Melbourne? So I think, you know, it, it, context is very important. And we create measurement frameworks with community using some of the, you know, existing tools that are out there. But I think, you know, success, which is what we're trying to do, you know, did we achieve uh, what we set out to achieve, has to be, has to be informed by those that we seek for. Uh, seek to work for because we might say it's a great success but you know the 15 year olds might not think so mm. so this it really is then probably every project every program that's involved really needs a bespoke approach to its measurement and evaluation because each project or program is going to be slightly different in what it's trying to achieve i think there are some standards um i think you know, for instance, if you're trying to get school completion, there is a standard for school completion. It might be, you know, completing your HSC or your BCE. So there are some standards. But I do think there are some contextual things that we need to take into account with local projects. So, and I think things like the, the Millennium Development Goals and the, which are now the Sustainable Development Goals, have attempted to come up with some standards around, you know, um, you know, what is a good standard of living or, you know, access to clean water or starting school ready. And so we have developed, there are some standards now, so we can measure across programs some standard outcomes. But there are local things that are important, especially how change happens locally is different. So what school readiness might look like in, you know, a remote Aboriginal community might look very different to school readiness in, you know, as I said, sort of you know, the northern beaches of Sydney. So I think... It's about, you know, because you, you do want to see an aggregation of, of impact across, you know, and have some benchmarks and something to, to measure against. But it is important also to look at what does local success look like as well. 
So what qualities do you need to have as an individual to be an effective, uh, someone who's effective in measurement and evaluation? What, What are some of the qualities that you like to see in people who undertake this type of work? Curiosity. We've got to be very curious as evaluators. We have to ask lots and lots of questions. You know, we we, we have to sort of be, um, we talk about appreciative inquiry. So it's sort of finding out if something has shifted. We, you know, it's like um, my, my CEO, Jess Dart, said to me, you know, if you find that flower in the desert, go and find out why it's, you know, it's growing. You know, you want to, as an evaluator, you want to understand the process of change. So that's why we, you know, we, we've got to be very curious and we've got to be very, um, you know, sort of generative and a very good facilitator. I think, you know, sort of be able to work with groups and sort of get groups to sort of open up and, and come to consensus about well, what is change, what is good change um, for communities. And I think, you know, you've got to have some technical skills as an evaluator. You've got to understand quantitative analysis and qualitative analysis. You can crunch the numbers, crunch the words, you know, and so on. Um you know, and, and, and be a good communicator, which is, you know, the, the, the focus of, of this podcast is, you know, you've really, you know, there's plenty of wonderful evaluation reports, but if they're not communicated, who cares? You know, no one heard it. Um, so, you know, it's really, that that's critical, I think, for, for an evaluator is to be user focused and, um, and, and communicate for your audience. So how would you reflect on the current state of measurement and evaluation of of government policy and government programs, how how well are we doing it uh, in your experience? Look, I think I think it's patchy. I think um, you know I came out of the international aid sector, and I think you know the, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade has spent a lot of money on monitoring and evaluating yeah. their overseas programs. Massive. And you know, and I think you know that sort of came out of the sort of 1980s. You know, the corruption and people sort of saying, well, where's our aid dollars going, and you know, is it making a difference? And so. What that led to was, you know, a, a huge uh, cultural shift in the development sector where 10% or 20% of every single development project has a monitoring and evaluating budget. So what that means is that, you know, everybody is trained up. Everyone, it's mainstreamed into every program that you collect data and you evaluate and you report back on it. Now, I've moved from international uh, development into the domestic sector and, you know, I've been quite alarmed, actually, at the, the lack of M&E in, um, in domestic programs. Most of us are still measuring what we call outputs. You know, so we're still measuring the number of bums on seats or the number of kids through our programs and the number of volunteer hours. And it, it's all well and wonderful, but, you know, so what? So what? You've got 10,000 people to download your app. Did it change any behaviour? Are they any better off? So I think that movement from output measuring to outcomes and impact is is happening, and I, and I think there are some you know some departments that are doing really really well at this, um, and 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 pockets even within government, you know certainly here in Victoria you know they've got outcomes frameworks, um, and we're starting to hear about um, you know payment for success models where people will be paying for outcomes. So that will certainly you know change change the game when it comes to measurement and evaluation. Mm. It's interesting you do say that about the aid program because that is my experience as well, is that it is a foundational part of any Absolutely. any aid program that you have yep. monitoring and evaluation built into it. So how, how then best might that translate? Uh, because, again, going to this notion of budget, unless it's built in at the front and unless the time and the resources are allocated, often it gets lost in the speed to 
move on to the next thing to be able to continue to generate other sorts of outputs because we're you know living in a busy busy world with lots of different things to do <laughs> lots of competing priorities you, you know the minister's office is now asking you to do something else you yep. you might want to do an evaluation but you simply don't have the time because of you know the pressures that you're under how what advice do you have for people who might work in those sorts of environments who who want to become better at monitoring and evaluation but may not have the time, may not have the budget. Well, I think you I think you, you, you sort of hit the nail on the head when you said, you know, if it's not built in at the start, it's very, very hard to, to sort of put it in later on. And so I think anyone negotiating a new program or, um, you know, a new funding grant should be sort of saying to their funder, look, you know, best practice is, is to have a monitoring and evaluation line here. And wouldn't you like to know that, you know, of the money expended, that you know it went to good use and it's had a, had an impact rather than us doing a hundred percent of something you know not knowing anything. So, so I think pushing back at you know and it's difficult because there's a power relationship there between you know someone you know in receiving funds and spending funds. But I think what is happening is we're seeing um, a generation of people coming through that are asking these questions. I think we're seeing international development people who are moving, you know, because that work is now being decentralised um, overseas. And so we're starting to see more more people make the transition into domestic work. So there is definitely a critical mass of people having these conversations. There are, you know, there's the, a, the Australian Evaluation Society, there's SIMNA, there's all these associations that are really starting to sort of bring that conversation up. But I think for an individual program manager, um, I think it's about finding those leverage points at the point of, of contract negotiation. That is a critical point, you know, or trying to siphon off a bit of cash somewhere in the system to at least do a short-term evaluation or something that demonstrates the the importance of it back to the funders um, or to their board. I mean, I also I, mean, I am a board member, and I think we also have a responsibility at board level to say, well, you know, what gets measured gets valued. And so, you know, and start to ask for our organisation to, to, to look at budgets and make space for it as well. So in terms of that, though, is, is it valuable to have something rather than nothing? It may not be the ideal outcome that you're looking for, but is, is it better to have something than, than perhaps nothing at all? I think... I think it's about scope. I think if you if you could sort of take a piece of a program and evaluate that well, I am um, I wouldn't recommend evaluation light. You know, as in you know doing doing a you know a, sh- a sort of a lighter version of evaluation because sometimes those those findings could be um, not as rigorous and you know and people then take that as you know gospel and then you end up sort of scaling. You know, they'll go, oh, let's scale this program. You don't want to scale failure. Yeah. But I think you can. I think you can take a piece of a program and evaluate that piece. We've got patch patch evaluation where you sort of take, take a patch, have a look at it, have a look at what's working well. And so I think that absolutely, I think, you know, getting people's confidence and their sort of evaluation muscle, get that flexing, giving it a go, showing people the value of evaluation and that it's useful and it can actually, you know, lead to better decision-making and better outcomes for constituents. It's the business case, right? You know, let's make a business case for evaluating and communicating the results so they're useful rather than, it, you know, people saying, well, it's just an academic exercise. Mm. So you mentioned um, at the beginning, you know, the, the impact of digital and obviously cloud computing, uh, you know, data analytics, yeah. you know, the, the ability to generate dashboards. 
technology obviously is, is ubiquitous and it's having a major impact in all areas of our lives. How is it changing the ability to um, measure impact of social programs and the ability to mobilise communities? Oh, it is it is beginning to have quite a significant effect and I think we're just at the beginning of what's possible. I mean, there, we have so much data now, um, you know, in terms of, you know, people have got, you know, these little computers in their pockets, you know, we're totally connected to the internet, we're, we're engaging with these platforms. So all this data is constantly being collected. So the opportunity to access that data uh, from an evaluation perspective uh, provides a richness and a depth and some insights um, at a speed that we've never had before. So we are now sort of putting digital uh, surveys in the hands of program managers. One of one of my clients, you know, they, they collect feedback from their participants and then they, within seconds, have it up on a dashboard so they can give the feedback to the client and say, you know, when you first entered the program, you know, this was where you were up to with your sort of relationships and your, you know, your, your sleep and all these sorts of things. And this is where you're at, you know, four, four weeks later. So the, so the client who's so used to having information taken from them and they never see it again, you know, evaluation can be quite extractive. But instead, we're sort of turning this around and saying, well, make it useful. And then that data is being aggregated at a program level and it's being aggregated up at an organisational level. So the CEO can see that information instantly. So the moment that data is collected, it's put on a dashboard so that they can sort of see what's happening. Now, you layer that with things such as weather or layer that with social media or layer that with, you know, stock exchanges or whatever you want, you know, like bringing together data sets. And this is what's so exciting about big data is you can start to see these insights and these patterns and, and, and use it for good. You know, I mean, the, the supermarkets are all over this. You know, they can connect you up and whether you bought something for the barbecue with the weather and then send you a token on your phone. Imagine if we could do that in the social sector for good. So how do you do that? How do you start to, you know, to, to bring that degree of nuance and insight and value into the, the, the social sector? We're starting to see pockets of it. And I think as the, as the technology gets cheaper, um, because, you know, this only a couple of years ago, you know, these sorts of things, you needed to be a coder and you needed to be an expert. But now, you know, with cloud platforms and, you know, and more and more, you know, sort of subscriptions, you know, as a service models are coming out, and, you know, you can access these technologies. So I think it's getting cheaper. I think there are more, um, the, the digital natives are coming up through our ranks through, you know, millennials who are expecting things real time. They're like, what do you mean? I've got to write that on a piece of paper and then put it in a folder and I get the report three months later. They're pushing back, you know, David, they're like, you know, this is ridiculous. So they're pushing um, and we're seeing um, expectations shift, you know, in, in, in the broader community about real-time feedback. So I think that is opening the doors. And constituents are expecting that too. You know, if you go into, a, you know, sort of a doctor's surgery or participating in a parenting program, you're expecting a level of sort of digital interaction, be it on your, you know, be it on your, your mobile phone or, you know, the way that information is delivered to you. I mean, we're hearing things about people, you know, who are, you know, getting messages on their phones to sort of remind them to go for a walk. So people are starting to engage a lot more and they're also becoming less scared of it as well. I think, you know, there's a real, you know, sort of, you know, mm. reluctance. And I think, you know, we're getting the privacy stuff sorted. I think that's the other reason maybe the social sector's been, um, you know, a, a, a bit 
slower to get on board because we've been trying to work out some of the ethics and privacy and some of the, you know, what can be quite terrifying consequences of collecting all this data on people. So, you know, it's starting to happen and I'm starting to see some really interesting, you know, people using sensors, sensors to track, you know, um, vaccine levels. There's some really fun things, you know, Twitter with earthquakes. You know, there's so many examples. The Me Too movement, you know, has been used, you know, that that was all social media, you know. So we're starting to see digital disruption really affect the way that social change happens. And so in terms of those actual skills to be able to, you know, extract that value, what yes. are the things that, you know, people should start to think about in improving their own sort of toolbox of skills? What are some of the things where people can start to progress to being to becoming more data literate and be more more able to generate this value. I think I think this is the skill set for the future, and I think you know data analytics and data scientists are are in absolute shortage. And I think you know the emphasis we're putting on STEM education is critical because we need more people that can understand, uh, you know, algorithms and machine learning and artificial intelligence. So. I think at this stage, though, I mean, in the social sector, we still need to work out to do small data well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah. some of us are still trying to work out one end of a pie chart to the next. So I think, you know, there, there is this massive skill, you know, shortage. And But at the same time, I think I would like to see more people getting more confident with collecting data, storing data and reporting on data. So I think even getting their skills up around, you know, what is a good survey design or, you know, what is the best way to use social media or let's do, you know, quality sort of um, interviews or focus groups and collect that data well, crunch that data well, you know, use the tools that exist out there, um, learn how to use cloud software to manage, um, put protocols in place to look after data because we've, we've got governance. Governance of data is an issue. You know, we're data custodians. And, you know, you're hearing about people, you know, wanting, you know, they need access to their data. They need to be able to change it if they want. So this management of data is a new skill set as well. And um, and then, of course, you know, people, you know, the right to be forgotten. You know, how do we remove data? And then finally, it's the skill set about reporting. And I think the, you know, skills in data visualization, skills in, you know, doing basic data analysis, skills in, um, you know, infographics and graphic visualisation, you know, all those skills. People don't want to read, you know, 300-page, you know, evaluation reports. I've written them. You know, no one reads, wants to read them. People want information quickly. They want it in ways that is easy to understand and is digestible. You know, our concentration spans are so, you know, are short. So I think um, being able to be able to present data and that is a skill. I mean, we need more communicators in, the, in, in our sector. You know, we really need um, that skill is really underestimated, the capacity to communicate well um, and engage people in the conversation around what it means for them as well. Do you get overwhelmed by all of this? <laughs> um, I think because we, we do stay very focused on the question, on the big questions that our users want. And we always go back to, well, the program was set up to achieve, you know, you know, school completion or, you know, as I said, sort of improved outcomes for drug and alcohol. And we keep going back to what's the process of change? Is that happening? And we do theories of change. You know, we create a theory of change with our, with our clients. And then we evaluate that and say, well, is that theory holding up? 
you know, if, if you say bring them in, look after their immediate needs and then they'll start a recovery journey, are we looking after their immediate needs? So I think you can get overwhelmed, but staying focused on the questions rather than the avalanche of data that's coming at you. You use the question to sort of you know, help, you know, sherpa your way through it. I yeah, suppose. yeah, I think that's very good advice because I think sometimes <laughs> it can be it, it can become too much, and if if you don't have that foundation or that anchor of that central point of inquiry in yeah. its simplest possible form, you can quite easily get overwhelmed and distracted and oh, lose yeah. the value. Absolutely, and. But you've still got to keep your eyes open as well, don't you? You know, because you don't want to you don't want to get so sort of focused on, you know, we were here to achieve, you know, sort of a, a population shift in, you know, I don't know, you know, employment. And then all of a sudden all this great other stuff's happened with relationships. So, you, you know, we still continue to sort of do those sort of um, activities to collect unintended consequences. You know, we still go out and collect stories of change and say, well, what's been happening for you? Um and, and so I think it's it's important we talk about mixed methods, you know, in evaluation. You need your quant and your qual um, so that you can, you know, find out what's happening. But you still, you know, you've got your eye on, on other change indicators. You know, it might be, you know, bellwether indicators of people changing their, their, their attitudes on social issues. You know, what else is happening? Mm. Um, but I think uh, it, it, the, the capacity to make sense of the noise and the other skill is pattern recognition. And I think that's the other uh, core skill that people are going to need to have is when all this data is flying at you and, and even when you ask this question and there's so much information, is what patterns are emerging. Um, and so I think skills around that, are skills around sense-making. I heard this statistic once that, you know, we collect, you know, sort of 99% of data comes in but we only make, you know, 1% of, of time is spent making sense of the data. So, you know, sense-making um, yeah. is... Is is necessary, but that one percent. That's would you say say that that's still the case today? That there is such little um, value extracted from data. I think there's a lot more we can get from it. Yeah, I think there's a lot more insight we can get from existing data sets that are already out there. A lot of data is closed, so you know you've got to try and unlock it and get access to it. And you know that I think. Those protocols about sharing data, you know, and governments come out and said that they're open, you know, that we can't shut data down. We've got to make it open. And this government, you know, 2.0 has tried to open up this data. But, the, you know, if you spend all your energy trying to get the data, by the time you do the sense making, you're exhausted and you run out of budget. So, you know, I think there are systems that need to be put in place to help us make, you know, to help us make sense. Because I don't think we're doing anywhere near the, the amount of analysis that we need to do. So where are some of the best places that people could go to learn more about best practice and about the next steps that they may be able to take to become more effective in the measurement and evaluation of their programs? Okay, I strongly recommend people, you know, uh, look at the Australian Evaluation Society web website. You know, it's a fantastic conference that's run every year. We've got another one in September. And, um, you know, we're starting to look at the impact of digital on, on evaluators. You know, there's also the Social Impact Measurement Network Australia, who I'm a founding member of there. Um, you know, they get together in each state and have meetups. So does the Australian Evaluation Society. I mean, you've got, you know, Clear Horizon, who I work for, do, does a number of trainings. 
you know, there are LinkedIn groups. I think you've got to continually learn um, as an evaluator and, and seek out uh, best practice and, and connect with others. And I think, um, you know, it's changing so fast at the moment and I think it's a really exciting time to be in the data and evaluation space. Um, but I, I do think, um, you know, the younger generation coming up is really asking some great questions and I think, you know, getting us evaluators to sort of really look at our practice and make it, you know, sort of more interesting and, and more engaging. Exciting times ahead, Jenny. <laughs> it is, it is. And we need communicators. We need more communications people working with us. Indeed. All right. Well, Jenny Riley uh, from Clear Horizon, the digital transformation lead, thank you so much for coming yeah, on and explaining that to us today. And I think there's massive value to our audience who are often looking and trying to understand how is it that they can prove the value of the work that they do in the government and public sector area. So thank you very much for your insights. And thank you to the audience for coming back once again. I'll be back at the same time in two weeks, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.